Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is part four, or part six, excuse me, of the series, Knowing Who We Are in God. And this is the last part at this time of this series, and uh, it's been suggested that each one of these lessons, which I have skimmed through, would be turned into a series of lessons uh, all about uh, who we are in God, who the church is, and uh, our place in the church and the kingdom of God, the plan and purpose of God. <clears throat> the title of this uh, part six is the church and the kingdom of God. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start today. There will be a few things in this lesson today that will be repeated from various lessons of the previous five. Uh, because this lesson will really be tying things together. It will also be really trying to make uh, this whole picture clear, uh, clearer, so that we can participate with the Holy Ghost. So, as an introduction to the subject of the church and the kingdom of God, and before I start again, yes, uh <clears throat> Uh, I have my thorn in the flesh for call to war next week. Uh, thank you for your prayers, for your prayers for my strength. The Lord has already assured me he's not taking it away before call to war is over with. So you can ask, I'm not. You can pray for God to heal me, I'm not. He already told me that he is using this to bring make me weak so he can be strong. I do not have COVID anywhere remotely close to having COVID. I've lived in Maryland over 56 years out of my 74 plus, And this is a very bad area for sinus trouble. And I get this uh, at least once a year from late fall into winter. or And sometimes I get it and get better and then I get it again and there's been once or twice I, twice I've had it three times in one late fall, or winter, and early spring season. So this is very normal for me. I'm used to this. I know what this is, and I'm fine. I have a little bit of a cough because I have sinus drainage into my lungs, and so a little bit of a cough, but I am, I couldn't feel better. I, I'm fine. I'm fine. I, after this week, I'm a little bit tired, but I'm not weak because I'm tired. I'm tired. <laughs> and uh, hopefully I'll get a little bit of rest over the next two days uh, or the next, yes, the next two days before, by the time we start on Monday evening. But if I don't, then the grace of God is sufficient. Praise God. So <coughs> there's my first one. And a little bit of drink with that. And uh, some have wondered what I'm drinking there. I don't. I don't want to do a commercial. So, but I will answer the question. I am drinking my favorite soda. It is Diet Sunkissed Orange, and it is great. I like it better than any any other soda drink it's light on carbonation and light on uh uh the sweetener and so it's uh 
I like it. And even if it gets flat, it still tastes really good. So anyway, that's got that out of the way. Uh, let's start. Okay. I'm ready to start and I hopefully you are too. In Jesus name. So this is part six of, uh, knowing who we are in God series. Uh, that this, the title of the part six is the church and the kingdom of God. So as an introduction, I'd like to make this point. There are three kingdoms that we're being trained by the word of God and the spirit of God to participate in. The one that we are currently involved in is the spiritual kingdom on earth now. There is absolutely no intent by God, and there is no word from God that the church can possibly use God to take over the world. I don't want the world. <laughs> I'm not the least bit interested in taking over the world. Uh, I don't want to run a government, uh, local, state, or national, or international. Uh, <clears throat> the purpose of the kingdom of God and which is a spiritual, a supernatural kingdom in the earth between now and the rapture and all during the church age is that we could defeat the kingdom of darkness so that souls can be delivered and saved. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. The second kingdom is the millennial kingdom. It starts at the end of the seven years of wrath and goes for a thousand years where Christ himself will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem, where people will be able to see him sitting there. And the church, according to Revelation and other places, will be kings and priests, and we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. That's an awesome subject, but that's not the subject of this. So that's all I'm saying about that. Then finally, after the great white throne judgment, there is... The, the the actual King James language words are the everlasting kingdom of God. And that is the kingdom that will never come to an end. And we are we are learning spiritually now to participate in the in the kingdom of God, and then we will be learning how to rule and reign in the environment of just the earth for a thousand years between the end of the great white uh, the end of the uh, seven years of wrath and the uh, great white throne judgment and those two experiences will equip us and God will use those things to equip us to participate with him in ruling and reigning in the everlasting kingdom uh, on a on a important note here there you'll see the kingdom of God phrase used frequently in the Bible, especially the New Testament. But there's another phrase, kingdom of heaven. Some have asked, what's the difference? Well, a very simple concordance search will prove to you that the only place in the Bible, the only book in the Bible that uses the phrase kingdom of heaven is the book of Matthew. And most scholars believe that the book of Matthew was written specifically to target the Jews. Now, anybody can read it, and everybody in the church of the living God can receive from that. But especially some of the prophecies that Jesus gave about the end, uh, 
I am not going to be fleeing to the mountains. I'm not going to be running from a, lo- a housetop and going into the mountains and hiding because of the Antichrist. Uh, in fact, the context and the perspective of that prophecy is for those Jews in Israel, the I- Israel to recognize what's happening and, uh, and they will do that until the Lord Jesus comes back at the end of the seven years with his church, all of us riding on white horses uh, to defeat the armies of the Antichrist that are trying to wipe out Israel. And in in doing that, uh, this will be the final uh, effort of the Lord to turn Israel back to the one true and living God. And you say, well, that's not a very nice thing to say about them. I think most Jews would tell you that most Jews are far more secular than they are spiritual. And yet they are the children of Abraham, naturally, and uh, they need to be turned back to the Lord. So the, the only book in the Bible that has the phrase kingdom of heaven in it is in Matthew. And it is the equivalent of the phrase kingdom of God. And how do I know that? Because when you read parallel passages about similar events and things that Jesus said, in Matthew, it's recorded as kingdom of heaven. In Mark and Luke especially, it's recorded as kingdom of God. Same exact uh, parallel scriptures. Uh, why would Matthew use the phrase kingdom of heaven? Well, remember what Peter and the other disciples asked Jesus just before his ascension. Will you at this time restore the kingdom unto Israel? And so even the apostles, having traveled with him and ministered with him, was expecting him to reestablish Israel as a kingdom in the earth. And he said, "That's not. this is not the time for that. I'm paraphrasing there. So Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven to differentiate to Jews what God is doing now versus what he's going to do in the millennial kingdom. Because the millennial reign of Christ on the earth as sitting on the throne of David, as the son of David, uh, the offspring of David, is uh, going to fulfill the promises that God has made to Israel. And uh, that's what that's what the disciples were looking for. They thought all of that was going to happen at the same time, and he let them know that it was not. So Matthew writing, especially to the Jews, made the differentiation between kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. So three kingdoms, the spiritual kingdom on earth that's in existence now, the millennial, excuse me, the millennial kingdom, which will be the thousand year reign of Christ after the end of the seven years of wrath. And then finally, the everlasting or the eternal kingdom, which will be established and uh, will exist from the end of the great white throne judgment forever, forever. Uh, and at, in being overly simplistic, the word kingdom simply means king's dominion. You can't have a kingdom without a king, and you can't have a kingdom without that king through his 
uh, forces through his government, and the government is backed by a military. Uh, even civilian governments must have uh, a military a as their uh, force to back their dominion. Uh, and so kingdom is king's dominion. We are his subjects and his instruments of his kingdom. The church is his we are his subjects, and we are his instruments uh, of dominion. Uh, our participation with him in his kingdom has been, is, and will be progressive in its nature, and our participation in the three kingdoms will be sequential. So God is teaching us, training us constantly. We're growing in him and growing in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're also growing in our understanding of spiritual things, supernatural things, and how we are supposed to participate and cooperate with that as the Lord fulfills his word. And that's exactly what he's trying to do. So I've got a couple of things I'm going to read here in the beginning just to try to lay a foundation, and then we'll get into an abundance of Scripture. So the question again is, what is the kingdom of God? By definition, I've already said it, the simple explanation of kingdom is king's dominion. Both the English and Greek definitions of the words associated with the words king, lord, kingdom, dominion, including their associated verb forms in English and in Greek are used in scripture clearly state as used in scripture clearly state that a kingdom exists when a king and or a lord has dominion over a over specific territory and or, or over specific subjects or people <clears throat> in uh, in the context of the scripture at this present time and in this specific dispensation, the kingdom of God in the earth is spiritual, not natural. And thus it is supernatural. It's spiritual, not natural. Thus, thus this kingdom is supernatural. And we'll see an abundance of scriptures that verify that. Therefore, uh, this supernatural kingdom is known as the kingdom of God. Knowing the above, we can conclude that since by definition, the existence of a Lord must precede the existence of dominion and thus a kingdom, then the reverse is also true. In order to establish the kingdom of God, we must be involved in expanding the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ by ministering the gospel to people to the end that our Savior becomes the Lord slash king of their hearts and lives. So we're taking new territory, but we're not taking natural territory. We're taking, we're taking territory in the sense that we are preaching the gospel to people. They are believing the gospel and they're, they're giving themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He becomes the Lord of their lives, the King of their hearts and lives. And therefore the kingdom of God is expanding. Luke 17 verses 20 through 21 says, and when he was, de when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say lo here or lo there. For behold, 
the kingdom of God is within you. So from the time of Jesus all the way through the rapture of the church, the only place the kingdom of God is going to exist is in the hearts and lives of those people who have been saved by him and who are submitting their lives to him for him to be both their Lord and their God and their King. So it's not just him digging us out of some pit of sin. If he's going to be my God, he's also going to be my Lord. If he's my Lord, he is my King. That means I come under his governance. And if he is not governing my life, he is not my king. And if he is not governing my life, he is not my Lord, my supreme ruler. And I'm going so far as to say to you, if he is not my king and my Lord, then he is not my God. And if he's not my God, he is not my savior. You, you and I don't have the right to come just enough into his plan that we get what we want and stop there. It does not work. He doesn't accept it. And ultimately, uh, there's a whole lot of people that want to accept the Lord. The issue is not whether or not you've accepted the Lord. The issue is whether or not he's accepted you. And he's not going to accept you and I on our terms. He's not going to do that. When someone submits their life to his lordship, then, again, by definition, we are expanding or increasing his kingdom slash dominion in the earth. So, as our purpose in him, causing or enabling Jesus to become the lord of people's lives is not as straightforward or as simplistic as we would like to assume and or practice. We're not just talking people into believing a doctrine. There exists a resistance to the lordship of Jesus in people's lives that is caused by the enemy of their souls. And I'm going to give you an abundance of scripture on that to prove that. That enemy of their souls is the devil or Satan, which the word means adversary. His influence on lost mankind is clearly established in the Bible. The lost are specifically described as being blinded by him so that they cannot believe and be saved. Thus, the Bible also states that they are his captives. Therefore, the lordship or the kingdom of Jesus, for the lordship or the kingdom of Jesus to grow or increase in the earth, the influence of the adversary upon the souls of men has to be defeated supernaturally by spiritual warriors. Again, I'm going to give you an abundance of scripture on this. I'm just trying to give you the big picture introduction in this so that all the parts that we're about to cover make sense. The spiritual warfare, I'm going to read that previous uh, sentence. <clears throat> and I didn't get any of this out of a book. The Lord gave me all of this myself. Not, I didn't earn it, didn't figure it out. I listened, wrote it down. So the only ability I have is to hear, not figure all this out. No. Uh, 
all the all other abilities, quote unquote, I have, I surrendered to him a long time ago. I'm not trying to figure anything out. I'm not trying to think it through. I'm just trying to hear and repeat and see and act. That's it, period. It can't be that simple. It is exactly that simple. The more complicated your life is, the more that you're in control of it. The more he's in control of your life, the simpler life gets. There's only one decision that has to be made in every situation. Is this the will of God? Not how is this going to be done or when is this going to be done or how are we going to pay for this or blah, 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 blah. None of all that stuff that man wants to get involved with so man can take the credit. There's only one decision that has to be made in regards to anything going on in my life. What's the will of God? I want to find the will of God and do that. What about all the things that have to be taken care of? If it's his will, he knew all about all of those things before I ever even got to this point, And he has the solution to them all worked out. If I will just be patient with him and let him reveal all that to me in his time. And he keeps all of that hidden so that I don't get ahead of him. But man wanting to do something, something needs to be done. Takes over from God and he goes back and he just goes like this and says, okay, let's see how long that works for you. He doesn't necessarily fight it. He just doesn't help you at all. Because if you're doing it for him, you're doing it on your own for him. If you're living for him, you're living for him on your own. He blesses you and I if we let him live through us, in us and through us. And he blesses you and I if we become his conduit for him to do and speak through us. He doesn't compromise. He doesn't negotiate. And if you and I think we have got him to accept less than what his word says, it's not him that negotiated with us. We're deceived. The word of God cannot lie. And he is, he cannot violate his own word without ceasing to be God. So if we think he's made some kind of deal with us to let us get by with not doing everything his word says by his grace alone, then we're deceived. Simple as that. It's not complicated at all. So therefore, therefore, for the lordship kingdom of Jesus to grow, increase in the earth, the influence of the adversary upon the souls of men has to be defeated supernaturally by spiritual warriors. Thus, spiritual warfare is foundational for all of our efforts to reach the lost. Now, I wasn't taught this growing up in the church. I never heard this in my whole life. I was already a young pastor in the city of Annapolis, Maryland trying to reach people that didn't believe a thing close to what I believed and finding how impossible that was by myself. But God sent me a message and I listened to that message and went to the word to verify that that message was true, even though I'd never heard such a thing in my life. And then I did by the grace of God, what he said for me to do. And he gave victory And we immediately began to see people get saved. And that's a story for another time. If spiritual warfare is absent from our efforts, then the unavoidable and eventual result of our efforts 
is futility, frustration, and failure. And God forbid that you and I succeed without spiritual warfare. Because there is no greater curse on any man of God or local church than to use human ability, human intellect, human talents, and personality, and human methods to see growth take place. Because if it's working for you, that is a bad sign. It's a bad sign. It means the Lord said, okay, you want to, you want all this for yourself so you can get all the glory, whatever? Have at it, because I'm not claiming any of it, and I'm not involved in it. Because when God stops correcting us, training us, disciplining us, and he lets, when we're, especially when we're trying to do it ourselves, and he lets, and everything that we, we try starts working, that means he's done. That's it, he's done. That's exactly what that means. So if spiritual warfare is absent from our efforts, then the unavoidable, unavoidable and eventual result of our efforts is futility, frustration, and failure. And thank God that's the case because God loves us enough to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we'll quit trying to do it for God and finally get out of the way and let God do it through us. Even when we appear to have results, the majority of the harvest is consumed by the enemy before it can be incorporated into the body. You can see Judges 6 on that for an example, and I don't go in there. The result of all of this futility of effort upon the labors is weariness in well-doing. That is the adversary's antidote to revival and harvest. The Lord has specifically called us to be involved with him in his warfare in every instance of the commissioning of the 12 and then the 70. One of the focal points of the Lord's ministerial imperatives imperatives made to the disciples as he sent them out was to defeat the influence of the devil in the lives of the people to whom they were ministering. To this end, the word emphatically states that Jesus gave them both authority and power to cast out devils. In every instance of his charge concerning their purpose and method of ministry, this imperative was a focal point. However, this is not a focal point of our traditional ministerial imperatives today including in the Pentecostal church. This must change. Now, I want to give you biblical evidence that you cannot reach people naturally and they be saved. Being lost is a spiritual or a supernatural problem. It's not a natural or intellectual or even a moral problem. Either we believers believe the Bible or we don't. If we believe the Bible, then we know that we cannot reach the lost through intellect, human efforts, programs, religion, spiritual entertainment, eloquent speeches, masquerading as sermons, etc. 
The lost can only be reached by, through, and with the Spirit of God. So here we go. The lost are blind to the gospel, and their lost condition is due to the influence of the God of this world, which biblically, it's very plain, that is not the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You can turn the lights on in a room for a blind man, and he can't see. You may feel good about the fact you turned the lights on in the room, but as long as he's still blind or she's still blind, they can't see. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the uh, light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But if a soul is spiritually blind, they still can't see that. The New Living Translation of verses 3 and 4 says it this way, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. That's why you can have your best arguments and you could be the best debater going and you can sit and talk to someone and you can back them in a corner and they can't possibly disprove what you're showing them in scripture and nothing changes. Why? Because you were talking to their natural mind and it's a spiritual problem they have. The Bible says that every man has been under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, which has promoted disobedience in them. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I read these yesterday in part 5. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. He just described every lost soul. The Amplified, I'm going to take the time to read both the Amplified and Weiss just to make the point. I'm going to drive the nail. I'm going to get a nail set out and I'm going to set the, drive the nail set and set it flush. That's going to be the Amplified. And then I'm going to get another nail set out and I'm going to drive that nail set, uh, into the, in, into your brain and, uh, uh, drive that 
second nail set flush. And then it's going to be between you and Jesus, whether you believe this. So the Amplified reads, Ephesians 2, verse 1, And you he made alive when you were dead or slain by your trespasses and sins, in which at one time you walked habitually. You were following the course and fashion of this world, were under the sway of the tendency of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. You were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that now still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. Among these, we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh, our behavior being governed by our corrupt and sensual nature, obeying the impulses of theory, flesh, and the thoughts of the mind, our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imaginings. We were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. Does that sound like a natural problem to you? Does it sound like a natural problem? It's not natural. It's supernatural. Weiss expanded translation reads this way. Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you being dead with reference to your trespasses and sins, he made alive. In the sphere of which trespasses and sins at one time, you order your behavior as dominated by the spirit of the age in this world system. As dominated by the leader of the authority of the lower atmosphere, the source also of the spirit that is now operating in the sons of the disobedience. Among whom also we all ordered our behavior in the sphere of the cravings of our evil nature continually practicing the desires of our evil nature and of our thoughts and were continually children of wrath by nature as also the rest. Now, do you honestly believe that you can build a building nice enough that people can be organized and be nice enough that you can sing good enough and preach sermons good enough to save people who are under this kind of influence without prayer delivering them? It's deception. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be offensive to you or anybody else. But if that's our focus and we believe, that's what we're trying to do to see the law saved, then we don't believe the Bible. We believe tradition. Is it the will of God for us to gather together, worship together? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there something wrong with having a nice building? No, unless our pride believes that we're going to grow our crowd because of how nice our building is. And certainly there's nothing wrong with us singing and, and having music that is skillful as long as it's unto the Lord and not for entertainment. And... The word of God's the word of God. And every man of God should want to be as effective as possible with his preaching as long as he's not reaching just to be an oratorical impressionist. But you cannot deliver the lost through any of that. Now, the delivered lost can benefit 
by gathering together with the saved. The delivered lost can benefit by <coughs> good worship and praise and and great words from God. But the deliver, undelivered lost will never be swayed by that. And how many pastors over the last 74 years of my life have I heard say directly or indirectly, you know, people don't want what we've got. So let's just hang on till the end because nothing's really going to happen. It's not the lost fault. They, they're captives. They're prisoners, the scripture calls them. The fault is the church because we're trying to use religion to get them out of spiritual bondage. The failure is ours, not theirs. The lack of hunger is not theirs, it's ours. The lack of humility is not theirs, it's ours. We're trying to impress God. We're trying to earn something from God. We're trying to obligate God. We're trying to win people to ourselves. And that's the theory, isn't it? You win people to yourself so you can win them to Christ. Show me that in the Bible. I want to see book, chapter, and verse on that. You don't have any because I've looked. It's not in the book. But that's modern church world today, isn't it? And what's so sad is that Holy Ghost filled, baptized in Jesus' name people, have swallowed the lie and committed their whole effort to the lie. And it's a lie. And Satan is thrilled to death because he knows you and I have no hope of helping people be saved doing it naturally. Just what is the result of the influence of the prince of the power of the air? Let's read in Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 19. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. Why would Paul write this if it wasn't possible for saved people, saved people, to walk like the Gentiles in the vanity of their mind? Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all the uncleanness with greediness. Instead of the church, the world becoming like the church, the church is in many, many places has become like the world. God have mercy. We, I'll just read one translation here of Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. This, therefore, I am saying and solemnly declaring in the Lord that no longer are you to be ordering your behavior as the Gentiles order their behavior in the futility of their mind. Being those who have their understanding darkened, who have been alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is which is in them, through the hardening of their hearts, who being of such a nature as to have become callous, abandoned themselves to wantonness, resulting in a performing of every uncleanness in the sphere of greediness. And according to Second Peter 2 and the book of Jude, there are churches that at one point were churches of the living God churches he claimed and there are preachers who at one point were men and women of God but have given themselves to this 
and become just like all of this. And so they preach nothing is wrong because they need to justify their own lustful existence. We are called to fight in a spiritual war because this is a supernatural conflict between kingdoms, God's kingdom and the devil's. I am not going to read all this for time's sake, but I encourage you to. And this entire set of notes is one set of notes for all of these scriptures. I don't even know how many pages of this uh, will be available on both apostoliciron.com for download by Monday evening. Or you can go to the Antioch, the Apostolic Church app under my portion of the app. And there's a section there for downloads and it will be available for for you. You can have it. Uh, But know this, not only have you watched this, but if you get these notes and you don't use them as a, not for you to copy them, but for you to use them like the Bereans did where you go and you study the word to see if the things you're being told are so or not, uh, then you're accountable for it. You don't answer to me, not my words. <laughs> That's the beauty of being a conduit. There's no pressure on me. The only, my only responsibility is just let him talk, say whatever he gives me to say, how he gives me to say it. And when I've done that part, I'm done for for that part i'm done now of course i pray pray before during and after frankly but uh it's then up to the hearer it's up to the hearer so i'm not going to read all of colossians chapter 1 verses 1 through 20 but i'm going to start down with uh verse 8 uh Now, let me start with verse 7. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father who hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. There's the conflict. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father, 
that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him, to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in heaven or things in earth. This is what the Lord has done in our lives. All of this is God's side of the story. What he did, why he did it, what what his purpose, his plan is in all this. But I, I pulled out and emphasized that one verse, and I'm going to show you why. Verse 13, Colossians 1, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear, dear son. And again, I'm not going to read all of it, but I have in my notes Acts 26, 12 through 20. This is the most detailed account that Paul gives in any of his testimonies of his encounter with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, I believe it is. And uh, <clears throat> so he's he tells the king his story. He tells the king about seeing this light and, and hearing the Lord's voice and asking who this is. And he says, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. And then the Lord says, uh, Verse 16, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. This is the purpose I've called you, Paul. I have interrupted your journey so that you would follow me. I'm arresting you and calling you to be a part of me. Now, in Acts chapter 22, it's kind of a curious call when God told Ananias, go see Saul uh, because he's blind uh, and tell him how great things he's going to suffer for my name. Not how great things he's going to do for my name, but how great things he's going to suffer for my name. And Paul was so arrested because he realized he'd been persecuting his own Lord as the Christ and rejecting it as blasphemy and putting Christians in jail because he thought they were blasphemous. And now he is so humbled because he realizes the one he's been fighting is the very God he thought he was serving. So the Lord says to him, uh, but rise and stand on thy, thy feet for I appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the, the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee for this purpose. This is why I'm sending you to open their eyes, not talk about their natural eyes, and to turn them from darkness to light. I was studying it this morning in prayer. And it is a major subject, and I was thrilled to death and all the things the Lord was giving me and showing me. But I was praying, and, and, and I just had this overwhelming sense of the darkness of this world. And I said, Lord, didn't you say and promise that there'd be a time where those that sit in darkness would see a great light? You said you were the light of the world while you walked the face of this earth. But then you said to the church that we are the light of the world and we're children of the light. So if you're going to shine a great light into this world and you're in us and you are the light of the world, 
then that great light has got to come from the body of Christ. But it's not going to come from people who are just satisfied having another church service and believing they've done the will of God. It's going to come from those that realize we're first and foremost called to prayer. And not our religious prayers, but our spiritual prayers, our supernatural praying. Because God is a spirit. And any prayer that's not supernatural is not communicating with God. Any prayer that is not supernatural is not communicating with God. Because God is a spirit. And I can only communicate with God supernaturally. Now, I'm not talking about ooh, whatever. But I'm talking about knowing there is a supernatural connection between between this, my spirit and God's spirit. And the communication is two-way. But the purpose here is that I'm not just fellowshipping with God. But in, in supernatural prayer, I move into a place of ministry where he can do his will and his purpose, fulfill his word, his will is planned through me. And that is to set those free that the God of this world had blinded their minds. Now, the one that wrote that, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them and lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine on them. Just so happens to be the same one giving this testimony I'm reading. The one that wrote that in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, that we're children of disobedience under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. It's the same one that given this testimony. The same one that wrote in Colossians that we have been, we, we, we have been delivered from the, the, the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of the Son of God. It's the same one that, the, the, that Jesus himself spoke these things to him and he's quoting them to us as he's quoting them to the king in Acts chapter 26. The same one that said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. And if this is the way Christ called him to follow Christ, if this is the way God called Saul, who later became Paul, to follow him, Christ, and Christ says we're supposed to follow Saul or Paul as he follows Christ, meaning we're supposed to follow what Christ told Saul because God didn't just tell Saul for Saul's sake. He told all of us. If we're not doing that, we are not obeying the word of God. I don't care how good the church service is. I don't, have gra- I don't care how great the sermon is. I don't care how awesome the singing and playing is. If we're not following the pattern that Jesus gave Paul, we are in disobedience to the word of God because of either ignorance or unbelief. And there is unbelief that's due to ignorance. And then there's unbelief that's due to choosing not to go that way because we lack our tradition too good. Here it is again, Jesus talking to Paul who was at that time saw to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. 
Okay, so there were three things that had to be accomplished supernaturally before the word of God would work to produce faith and obedience in the hearer so that they could have their sins forgiven and they could receive the an inheritance among the saints. And according to Ephesians chapter 1, what is the earnest of our inheritance? The baptism of the Holy Ghost. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, 13 in there. So, pray all you want. Have all the prayer meetings you want. And they will accomplish virtually nothing except helping you feel like you've earned something from God if you're not directly confronting the spirit of blindness, the spirit of darkness, and the power of this kingdom and setting the captives free. One of my favorite, most challenging verses, verse that challenges me consciously and subconsciously all the time and has for many, many years. Psalm 79, 11. Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee. According to the greatness of thy power, preserve thou those that are appointed to die. That was actually a prayer to God. But just like Jesus saying that the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And since he's now sitting on the throne of the universe and we're now the body of Christ, what he was sent to do is now our mission. So the prayer that was prayed in Psalm 79:11 to God is now our responsibility to be the conduits for God to fulfill. 79:11 Psalms, let the sighing of the prisoners come before thee. According to the greatness of thy power, preserve thou those who are appointed to die. So, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God a while and our role and place in the kingdom and how God wants to use us in the kingdom. Matthew, and I'm not going to read the interpretation of the parable of the, uh, of the, the tares, uh, but in Matthew 13, Jesus is explaining the parable of the tares starting in verse 37. He says, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom but the tares are the children of the wicked one. We are the children of the kingdom. We're the children of the kingdom. We're not the children of a religion. We're not the, some of us may be, but that doesn't make us the children of God. We're not the children of a religious institution called the church. We are the children of the kingdom. And biblically, you cannot separate the church from the kingdom. And this is so critical because the church is who we are. The kingdom is what we do. We don't do church. You can't do church. The church is who we are. The kingdom is what we do. That's why when Jesus gave Nicodemus the answers uh, or uh, made his pronouncements about the new birth to the to Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, he said to Nicodemus, let me tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say, except a man be born again, he cannot see the church. 
He didn't say the second time, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he can't enter into the church. No, he didn't read it. He said, except a man be born again, or except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And except a man be born again, he of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Why didn't he say church? Because he was making the point that just getting into the church is not enough for him or for us to fulfill his word or for us to do his will because we the, the church is who we are. The kingdom of God is what we do. And we were born again into the church for the purpose of the kingdom of God being being manifested and demonstrated through us. And so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bind you and any part of the body of Christ from ever again getting satisfaction and feeling content and that you've accomplished something by just having another good church service with good singing and good feelings and good goosebumps and good preaching and we go home all satisfied and never having participated in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name. Jesus is so intent on this He told us what the focus of our daily prayer was supposed to be. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse, uh, uh, I'm just going to read 32 and 34, but Matthew chapter 6, the entire chapter is very important in this context. Verse 32 says, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. (coughs) First. And the Greek word there, first, means first in order of time. And it also means first in order of priority. So if I get up and go about my day and I get my breakfast and I, and I, I sit around, I read the paper and I get all that done. And then finally I get around to my morning devotions and I feel so good about that because I've got my devotional time and I've, and I, you know, I do all my personal stuff first and then I've got my devotional time. In what dictionary is that first? Seeking God first. What dictionary, Greek or English, am I seeking God first? When I get up and take care of all my ablutions, I think that's it, ablutions, and I get me something to eat and I check the newspaper or I, I check the news and the weather on my iPad and all that. And then I finally... I go to my place of prayer so I can put in my prayer time and read a few scriptures and I can go about my day knowing I fulfill my religious obligations for this day. I'm not trying to be offensive here, but the world's going to hell. And the church is responsible for it going there because we've been given power and authority. We've been given the word and the name of Jesus. We've been given all of this 
giftings of God. And we're using them to have church and to grow our crowd rather than going to the whole world and preaching the gospel to every creature after that we have prayed and warred the kingdom of darkness off of them so that they are receptive to the spirit of God. Brother T.W. Barnes, great prophet of God who's been passed on several years now, said to me personally, and I've also heard him say it publicly, that until someone with the authority to do so prays the spirit of blindness off the lost, they can't even decide whether or not they want to be saved. In Luke, the parallel passage says a little different. Luke chapter 12, verse 29, And seek ye not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth you have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. (coughs) Praise God. The kingdom of God, seeking the kingdom and the manifestation of the kingdom of God in the earth is God's number one priority for every single saved individual, no matter who they are, every day. And for every local part of the body of Christ, that is God's number one focus of prayer. Now, the church is the conduit of God's authority in the earth. There will be no end time revival and harvest without the church being a consistent yielded conduit for the authority of the kingdom of God to be manifested in the earth. It is impossible to have and use the authority of the kingdom of God without being one of those who makes prayer the priority of their lives. If prayer is not the priority of my life, I don't care. I'm not talking about preachers. I'm talking about saved people. If prayer is not the priority of my life, that I am not in a position to be able to be used of God to see the kingdom of God established in the earth. Those who pray for religious things, church services, church visitors, church plan, church calendar, church program, are not going to be the ones God uses in his kingdom but those who pray the priorities of the kingdom of God first and foremost. Because here's the deal. Jesus said the kingdom of God cometh not with observation for the kingdom of God is within you. Paul wrote this way, Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. In this spiritual kingdom, in this church age, all the way up till the, the moment of the rapture, the kingdom of God is within the church, the true body of Christ. And the reason it's within us is so that we can be the conduits for the kingdom of God to flow out of us. 
so we have the kingdom of God in us, so we can be conduits for the kingdom of God to flow out of us by his authority and his powers. (coughs) In the military, there's something called the orders of the day. And uh, they are shared by the person who's on watch or duty, on guard, when he's being replaced by the next person. And so the, the man going off duty, off watch, off guard, he repeats the orders of the day. And then the person coming on watch, on duty, on guard, repeats the orders of the day so that they both know that this has been shared and it's fully understood what that person has been doing and what the next person is going to be doing. The, from a military's perspective, the order of orders of the day are the general directives of a commander-in-chief or the specific instructions of a commanding officer. And they detail the, the activities of primary importance for that person on watch, on duty, on guard. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, our God, the Lord Jesus Christ has given us his general orders of the day for each and every day. And if you don't think that that applies to us, the, ter- the military terminology is used several times, and I'm not going to give, give you a instance. Jesus several times talked about uh, watch, be alert. And that is a military term Jesus used and the apostles used. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 7, Peter said, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, think clearly, and spiritual thoughts, and watch unto prayer. That's where we stand guard, is in prayer. That's where we, 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 we keep watch, is in prayer. That's where in the spirit we, we're able to see, even if we don't realize it's happening, we're able to see the things that are coming so we can pray about them because that's the will of God. Paul said in Colossians 4 verses 2 through 4, continue in prayer and watch in the same, in the same with thanksgiving. Continue in prayer and you watch in prayer with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in bonds that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. And then finally, Paul, after he talks about all the, 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 uh, who we're wrestling against in, in Ephesians 6 and 12 and then he talks about all the armor of God we're supposed to put on. What do we, what do we do with all that? Well, the arena of prayer, of spiritual warfare, is prayer. And in the context of Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul is talking about all this uh, armor and all this wrestling and this conflict, here's where Paul says it takes place. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching, there's that word again, Thereunto with all perseverance and supplication 
for all saints and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul saying, you pray for me, pray with me and I may be in jail, but the word of God won't be. Satan can't bind it if we're losing it. Satan can't bind it if we're resisting him. So, the first and foremost purpose of our prayer every day is to pray, is to seek for the kingdom. Seek for the manifestation of the kingdom. Jesus gave us the specific elements of what we're supposed to be praying for every day. We may not pray for them the same way every day. He certainly didn't give us these things for us to just simply repeat them. And there are days that I may pray this, these things that I've been commanded to pray and that you're commanded to pray. I may pray them in five, ten minutes. I've had days where the flow of the Spirit is so focused on these things that it might take hours and hours to pray everything the Lord wants to speak through me in prayer over these things. Because how long I pray is up to Him. Praise God. So Matthew chapter 6, he is, this is in the middle, chapter 6 is in the middle of three chapters. The beginning of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7, that are all a part of what we have, man has named it, the Sermon on the Mount. That that title of Jesus' teaching to that multitude of people that day was not, is not in the, supernaturally inspired word of God. It is a title that man put on it. And according to our seminaries and our Bible schools, we don't believe it's really the sermon because we don't teach anybody how to preach or teach sermons like the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, we teach exactly contrary to that. Don't we? I thought we believed the Bible. Maybe not. So this is the first place. And these two are not spoken in the same place. They weren't spoken at the same time. And they're not either in the Greek or in the English. They're not exact quotes one of another. Why is that? That's like that to let us know. He's not telling us words to repeat. He's telling us important things to let him pray through us for. So in Matthew chapter 6, beginning beginning with verse 9, after this manner, not after these words, after this manner, therefore, pray ye. The word pray is in the imperative tense of command, both in English and the Greek. This is not optional. It's not optional. Our Father which art in heaven, <clears throat> we should pray about that hallowed or sanctified be thy name. We should pray about that. Thy kingdom come. We should pray about that. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, or according to the Greek, as it's already purposed in heaven, your will be done in the earth. Your will prevail. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, if you read later in chapter 6, you'll see where he tells us not to even pray for food. 
So he's got to be talking about something different here than our personal need of something to eat. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, we've got to be repentant in this prayer dimension and we can't have any grudges for it to be effective. That's one of the reasons why people don't like to pray this because the Holy Ghost is going to search your hearts when you pray this to see how many grudges you've got. Lead us not into temptation. We have to pray against our own flesh here so that we don't fall by our own flesh in the midst of the battle. But deliver us from evil, and the Greek is literally the, from the evil one. And this is, the this last part is not in chapter 11, and I'll tell you why I believe that's the case in a moment. But to this, to this crowd, the sermon, the, 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 those that were hearing this lesson on the mount, for, or this teaching on the mount, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, the word thine is not repeated the second or the third time because it's not necessary to repeat it because of the English and Greek rules of redundancy. We automatically know that word is there. So I'm putting it in there for emphasis. For thine is the kingdom and thine is the power and thine is the glory forever. Amen. Now, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus was in a prayer meeting. He like to pray alone. <clears throat> we It's noted several times in the scripture that he found a solitary place to pray. But they found him praying. They didn't interrupt him. I don't know how long he prayed after they showed up. I'm sure he knew they were there. But as he was after he finished praying, they obviously understood that he they didn't pray like he prayed. So in Luke 11, they said, teach us to pray. So in Luke 11, verses 2 through 4, he's not telling, this isn't the Lord's prayer. He is teaching them, his disciples, his followers, what to pray about. And he said unto them, when you pray, say. The word that word say is in the imperative tense of command, both in the English and the Greek. Our Father which art in heaven, we need to pray about that. Hallowed or sanctified be thy name. We need to pray about that. Thy kingdom come. We need to pray about that. Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Again, as it's purposed in heaven, we need to pray what God has purposed in heaven into the earth. We are his conduits for that. Give us day by day our daily bread. Why, why are we praying for bread when he told us in chapter 6 and also in, in Luke, he told us not to ask for food or clothes or whatever because he's our father, we're his children. Why did he tell us that? Why did he tell us to pray this here? Because I'm not praying for my personal needs here. I'm praying for the needs of the kingdom. Every army that outstrips its supply line is defeated no, how, no matter how powerful it is. It is a proven fact that frequently in the Germans' blitzkrieg, the tanks, the panzer divisions, got so far ahead of their supply lines, no matter, even though they were experiencing no resistance 
or very little resistance at times. They had to stop and wait up, wait for the fuel to catch up. So it was one of the things that really allowed the Germans to be defeated. That while they had a very well-oiled machine as far as the military part of it is, their supply lines were constantly not able to keep up with the success of their armies and their air forces, etc. Well, that is true. The old saying is a an army marches on its belly. Why? Because I don't care how good of a soldier you are. If you don't have anything to eat, you lose strength. And so the adversary, one of the ways he tries to defeat us to keep us from praying these things is he wants to defeat our personal supply line as soldiers in God's army. It's the will of God for our needs to be met if we are focused on the kingdom. That's why in Matthew, Jesus said, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I don't have to seek those things if I'm seeking the purposes and the and the the the, uh, the goal, the destiny or destination of the kingdom of God, because He promised He would keep the supply line taken care of. If I quit praying about the kingdom and start praying about the supply line for a, a length of time, then I'm not effective. So Jesus is teaching us to pray here for the supply line. Just let's keep it up. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> and forgive us our sins. The Luke uses the word sins rather than debts. Forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us or who has sinned against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil or the evil one. This is the will of God for us to pray every day. Again, as the Spirit of God leads you, praying in the Spirit in tongues, uh, there are days that you might pray much in tongues and not have a lot of day left or time left to pray these elements. And I've actually said this to the Lord. Now, you've commanded me to pray these things, and yet the flow of the Spirit is subject. I'm not going to stop that if you're flowing. So I have to trust you to pray these things through me if you're not giving me the opportunity to pray them in my language. That's my faith. Okay? So in studying this over the years, uh, this is going to be a little difficult to follow me reading it to you. It'll be in the notes if you want them. Uh, this is the definition that God has given me from my study. This isn't quoting anybody, but this is God putting together all the pieces that he has spoken to me about. And this is the definition he gave me of the of what I'm praying, thy kingdom come. And I'm reading. The manifestation or coming of the kingdom of God may be comprehensively defined as the supernaturally empowered exercising of the Father's eternal authority by the sons of God individually and or by the body 
or the bride of Christ collectively, i.e., the grace of God working in and through believers, who in, by, and through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, functioning as his conduits on earth and in the earthly realm, in speaking aloud by faith into the supernatural atmosphere of the earth, what the Spirit of God is speaking to them, thus and thereby facilitating rhema, quickened animated logos, that's what rhema is, being released into the cosmos, the world, through them to work the will of God, to subdue the enemy's kingdom, to set captives free, and to establish the spiritual dominion of the Lord in the earth. Now, I'm going to read that one more time. The definition, as he gave it to me, of thy kingdom come is, the manifestation or coming of the kingdom of God may be comprehensively defined as the supernaturally empowered exercising of the Father's eternal authority by the sons of God individually and or the bride body of Christ collectively. This is done through us by the grace of God working in and through believers. And when the sons of God, the bride of Christ, collect individually or the body of Christ collectively is praying, who in, by, and through the name of Jesus, functioning as his conduits on earth and in the earthly realm, in speaking aloud by faith into the spirit, supernatural atmosphere of the earth by the, the Spirit of God speaking to them and through them, thus and thereby facilitating Rama, which is the quickened, animated Logos of God. Being, thus facilitating Rama being released into the cosmos or the, this world through them to work the will of God, to subdue the enemy's kingdom, to set the captives free, and to establish the spiritual dominion of the Lord in the earth. <coughs> Praise God. In the Greek text of Matthew 6.10, which is talking about thy kingdom come, a very literal understanding of the Greek words used would have Jesus making this point to us. We are to pray daily that the Father who is in heaven will cause his will as it's already purposed in heaven to come into existence fully in the earth. The will of God is always revealed only in one direction from heaven to earth. The will of God is never from earth to heaven. Never. The real question is, will we become the conduits to pray for his will to come to pass in the earth and for his kingdom to come into manifestation in the earth? And will we personally do his will and his will only? Us doing his will by his grace empowering us and him thus working through us as his conduits by his authority and power in the earth, is the kingdom of God coming in the manifestation of the earth. I'm going to read that again. Us doing his will by his grace empowering us and him working through us as his conduits by his authority and power in the earth 
is the kingdom of God coming into manifestation in the earth. And God cannot manifest his kingdom in ministry through me if I don't first allow him to manifest his kingdom through me in prayer. If I don't first manifest a pray for the manifestation of his kingdom in prayer, the kingdom of God will never be manifested through me in ministry. Never. It can't happen. So it may look like things that are spiritual and supernatural. But even carnal people can exercise a gift that God gives them because the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. There's a verse that uh, the Lord directed me to the other day. I'd never really studied it, but I want to share it to you. This is the first time I've ever taught on it. It's Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all of the will of God. For I bear him record that he has, hath a great zeal for you, and, that, and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. The Greek word translated by the words laboring fervently literally means to struggle. It is the Greek word from which we get the word agonize. It literally means to compete, according to Strong's, to compete for a prize. Figuratively, this is Strong's again, the word means to contend with an adversary. So it's not just translated labor fervently one time three times it's translated strive strive to enter into the great the straight gate the narrow gate and three times it's used by paul to describe his personal life i have fought a good fight or i fight the good fight of faith the word fight in those places is the same word here that paul is describing the prayers of this brother for the colossian church and he called it laboring fervently. Thayer says the word means to enter a contest. It also means to contend with adversaries to fight. Metaphorically, it means to contend or struggle with difficulties and dangers. To endeavor with strenuous zeal to strive to obtain something. Darby's translation of Colossians 4.12 says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, the bondman of Christ Jesus, salutes you, always combating earnestly for you in prayers, to the end that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. The world, uh, <clears throat> the Weymouth's New Testament says, Epaphras, who is one of our of yourselves, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, sends greeting to you, always wrestling on your behalf in, in his prayers, that you may stand firm, Christians of ripe character and of clear conviction as to everything which is the will of God. And then the complete Jewish Bible of 2016 a version, 2016 version reads this way. Epaphras sends greetings. He is one of you, a slave of the Messiah Yeshua, who always agonizes in his prayer on your behalf, praying that you may stand firm, mature, and fully confident as you devote yourselves completely to the will of God. 
And then Paul himself uses that word in even a strengthened form. In Romans chapter 15, verse 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So he took that word that is used of Epaphras in his prayers, and he said, I'm praying this way, but I'm asking you to do it with me. So there is the, the prefix that lets you know that he's praying, but he wants us to join him in prayer. That I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may be with you, and, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to read to you two scriptures that we've used. And this talks of the, the focus and zeal we're supposed to have for the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 15, it reads this way. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify them yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. And it is easier for heaven to and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. Weiss expanded translation says of verse 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being proclaimed and everyone with the utmost earnestness and effort is pressing into it for his share in it. Now, I want to talk about that Greek word presseth, but only after I read the next text. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, the Greek word translated suffereth violence, one word translated by those two words, is the exact same Greek word for press. The kingdom of the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth his way into it. Same Greek word. And Strong says the word means to force or reflectively, reflexively to crowd oneself into or passively to be seized by it so that you're, you're captured. Thayer says it means to use force, to apply force, to force, inflict violence on. Now, the translators are all over the place on this. The, 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 the translators prove with all the translations that they're translating intellectually with no spiritual understanding at times of what they're translating. Because they're saying that, that, you know, that the, the kingdom of God is under attack. No, 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 no. The context makes it very clear that the Lord is talking about those that want to be a part of his kingdom going on the offensive and those that want to see his kingdom established going on the offensive. 
so in Luke 16, 6, I'm, he, the, the Lord is, uh, in that version of this, he's talking about those that wants to be in the kingdom of God, a part of the kingdom of God, fights against with supernatural force, everything resisting them being in the kingdom and everything resisting the kingdom of God being manifested through them. But then in Matthew, Jesus says it a little differently. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. Weiss explains it, it, it translates it like this. Indeed, from the days of the John the ba- of John the Baptizer until this moment, the kingdom of heaven is being taken by storm, and the strong and forceful ones claim it for themselves eagerly. The, the Passion Translation says, From the moment John stepped onto the scene until now, the realm of heaven's kingdom is bursting forth, and passionate people have taken a hold of its power. In other words, you can have a concept of church and it be very passive and it, we're just trying to be in the church, just trying to be saved. But when he's talking about not the church, so to speak, but the kingdom of God and that to be a part of the kingdom and for the kingdom of God to be manifested through us, there is some supernatural violence that takes place. Not against people, but against the opposer of the kingdom of God. Yes. And the phrase, take it by force, according to the to Strong's is, to seize. To catch away or up, to pluck, to pull, to take by force. Thayer says it means to seize or to carry off. To seize on, claim for oneself eagerly. In other words, you're born into the kingdom. But what have you done with what you were born into? What have you done with it? How do we know the kingdom's come? Well, Luke 11 verse 20 says, Jesus said, But if I, with the finger of God, using the finger of God figuratively there, uh, but if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. Now, in a similar but not exact parallel, Matthew chapter 12, verses 28 through 30. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else, so he connects it right here. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man? Then he will spoil his house. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. No middle ground on either one of those. No middle ground. No middle ground. So for the kingdom of God to come, 
the authority and power of Jesus needs to be manifested through the body of Christ, first in prayer and then in ministry to this world. That's why Mark chapter 16, verse 20 says, and they went everywhere and preached and the Lord went with them and worked with them, confirming the word with signs following. When I am preaching a word from God, he will always bear witness to it. He will always confirm it. There will always be a supernatural manifestation of confirmation of the word of God. If it's from him, that may be uh, as non uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, we we have equated the miraculous with the uh, no. What's that word I, I use there? The Lord uses uh, the the uh, spectacular with the uh, the the demonstration of the mystical. He, he's not in entertainment. The Lord's not an entertainer. And he's not doing entertainment when he manifests the power of his love. He's not doing it. It's not happening. What is he doing then? He's, de- he's demonstrating his love by demonstrating his power and authority and his willingness and ability to do in our lives what needs to be done to confirm his love to us. But what happens if the people who are called to be a part of his kingdom, born again into his kingdom, are just comfortable having tradition, traditional religious involvement? Because why would, why, why do people get to that? Because it leaves the rest of their life for them to run and for them to be in charge of. And then it lets them believe that they're okay because they put in their time, both in church and church activities and in prayer. And so now they have the rest of their life to themselves. Do whatever they want to. That's a lie. Are we supposed to gather together with the body of Christ? The church of the living God? Oh, yes, we are. Are we supposed to pray together? Yes. Are we supposed to worship together? Yes. Are we supposed to hear preaching and teaching to instruct us so we can grow? Yes. Are we supposed to be a part of seeing people saved? Yes. But that is not the end all to be all, and it's not the definition of all this. Because you can't find any place in the scripture where that is the definition of the kingdom of God. It's not in there. So what are we going to do? What did the, what did Jesus do? Now, <laughs> we, uh, too many people quit reading in Matthew 28, uh, at the end of verse 19, even though the punctuation easily demonstrates that's not the end of the sentence. Because if you read the rest of the sentence, which is verse 20, it sure contradicts a lot of people's doctrine. But in verse 18, Jesus said, uh, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go ye therefore. In other words, verse 19 is based on what he said in verse 20. All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. 
go ye therefore, or therefore, go ye. Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. And the sentence continues, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And so all we have to do to know how a person is supposed to be saved and how a person is supposed to be baptized and how a person is supposed to live is to go to Acts and the epistles and see how the apostles baptized and how the early church believed that a person was saved and how a, they believed an, a, a saved person was supposed to live. Because if the apostles didn't do what he said, the whole book is a lie. Because he he ascended. He left. And he left them behind as his representatives. And he taught them to teach us. He didn't teach us. He taught them. They're the ones that walked with him. There's the one that those are the ones that slept on the ground near him. Those are the ones that ate meals together with him. They're the ones that heard him say. They're the ones that saw him do. And he commanded them to teach us to observe all things whatsoever. He commanded them. Well, we love that when it comes to church doctor, plan of salvation doctor. We don't care too much for that. <clears throat> When we have to compare ourselves with what he told them to do and how they practice it, compared to how we do it. Because we really fall short. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to close today just reading to you his instructions to them when he first sent them out. And he said to them, which also applies to us, as my father had sent you, even so send, had sent me, even so send I you. Huh. So in Luke 9, first with the 12, verse 1, and he called his disciple, 12 disciples together, and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor script, nor neither bread nor money, neither have two coats apiece, and whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide, and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out into that city, shake off the very dust from your feet, for a testimony against them, and they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Well, that was the apostles. Well, the very next chapter, chapter 10, he sent 70 more out the same way. And I'm just for time's sake, I'm not going to begin reading with verse 1 of chapter 10. I'm going to read, begin reading verse 8, just for time's sake. I'd love to read all that. And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as, as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. <coughs> that doesn't work with our pretty little sermons, does it? 
It's just no wonder we ignore this. And this is 70. This is the 12. So we can't say they were special and he didn't. No, no. This is 70 more that he sent the same way. But into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you not, go your ways out in the streets of the same and say, even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, do we do wipe off against you, notwithstanding be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in the day, in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, that they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. Well, I'm going to tell you something right there. That That is a mouthful. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shalt be thrust down to hell. He that heareth you, heareth me, he's saying to the seventy, to the seventy. He that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. And the seventy return. So there's a gap there of time, obviously. Again with joy, saying, the Lord, even the uh, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us, unto us through thy name. And he saith unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power. The Greek word there is exousia, not dunamis. It's authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not. Because defeating the devil is only a means to an end. It's not the end. And notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the devils are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven and because people, other people's names are going to be written in heaven because you've defeated the kingdom of darkness. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father. And who the Father is save the, but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. And he turned unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them. Forgive me, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. And then finally, I'm closing with reading Matthew 10. Yes, all of Matthew 10. Here is Jesus' instructions in detail that he gave to the twelve, that he commanded the twelve to teach us. And all of these things, not in one continuous teaching like this, but all of these things are covered by Peter and James and John and Jude and Paul. All of these are covered. All of them. Matthew 10, 1. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, 
He gave them power over against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And I'm just for time's sake, I'm not going to read the, the names of the 12 just for time's sake. Verse five, these 12, Jesus sent forth. Jesus sent forth. He said, as my father hath sent me, even so send I you. These 12, Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. My brother, my friend, when's the last time that's been the primary subject of your preaching and teaching? And if you have followed my teaching and preaching for years now, everything I teach and preach is ultimately directly or indirectly about the kingdom of God. And as I explained in the very beginning of this, the phrase kingdom of heaven is only used in Matthew. It's found no place else in all of the Bible. And that's because Matthew is differentiating to the Jews between the earthly kingdom that was promised them with Jesus sitting, the Christ, the Messiah, sitting on the throne of David as the son of David, ruling over the world from Jerusalem. And so he, in writing, he makes it clear that it's not the kingdom of on earth that's promised them that's being referred to. It's the kingdom of God or the king, the supernatural kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And as you go preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, well, how do I preach that? Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely received, freely give. Wait a minute. If that's not happening, shouldn't we be questioning what we've received so far? Because if we've freely received it, it shouldn't be that challenging to freely give. He gives it. If he's freely given it to us and we received it, then it shouldn't be challenging for us to freely give that. Now, many of the miracles that Jesus did, that he told the recipients or even the group that saw it to not tell it because it wasn't his time yet. And for many men of God, there are miracles that God has done mightily through them that we don't know about yet because they weren't allowed the liberty to tell it because it would have seemed as though they were glorying. <clears throat> Likewise with me. Very, very few of the things God has actually done through me have I told. Now, there may be a day, but I believe that all those things that have already happened that he did kind of in a limited scope where not a lot of people knew uh, was for my learning, for my training because of what's coming. But it's for your learning, your training because of what's coming through you. And as you go preach saying, verse 7, Matthew 10, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely receive, freely give, 
Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when you come into an house, salute it. And in the and if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not, if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it is more, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the judgment than for that city. And listen carefully to what he just acknowledged. He's going to send us places where even if we do miracles, they're not going to receive the message. Not our problem. It's their problem and his problem. Because we're called simply to obey him and to be conduits for him to demonstrate his name, his kingdom, and his will through. We become evidence against them, whether we want to be or not in the great white throne judgment. The problem is we have become so timid, so intimidated that we don't want to pray for people in case something doesn't happen. (coughs) Well, there were places Jesus himself went that he couldn't do any miracles because of their unbelief. He never said, Oh God, I'm failing. I can't work miracles here. No, he didn't do that. He understood there were places he went They weren't going to receive it. There's places you and I are going to go. They're not going to receive us either. There's people we're going to pray for. They're going to believe and God's going to do major miracles in their life. There's other people that God would heal, but they're not willing because the cost. You see, if I receive a miracle, I'm accountable for that miracle. And I can't then take my life and live it my way and be guilt-free after God has manifested his love to me so mightily. I can't just walk away from that and be guilt-free. That's why some people don't want to be healed. They don't want to have the, the understanding that God is expecting them to acknowledge who he is and how great he is in the work he's done in their life. That's why some get delivered. But then the spirits that are cast out come back and find them empty because they got delivered, but they didn't fill themselves up with God or let God fill them up. And so there was, they were empty and they were seven times worse, even though they experienced a mighty deliverance. So verse um, 15 Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. You're not your protector, he is. Be therefore wise as servants and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And they, you shall be brought forth before governors and kings for my sake for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how and what ye shall speak. 
You don't have to have your iPad so you can search in all your sermon notes. For it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak, if you've learned to hear what God says, so he can speak through you at that moment. If it is if it is not ye that speak, for it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father, which speaketh in you. The brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee into another. Oh, I thought we were supposed to be heroes and just stand there and take it. No. Frequently in the scripture, the Lord used persecution to scatter the seed of the word to different locations. Jesus says, <laughs> If they persecute you in this city, flee in ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. And when you begin to tell them everything about them, just like Jesus did to the woman of, at the well, <clears throat> the fear of the Lord is going to come. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. Not us being in the devil's darkness, but he's talking about us praying at night. What I tell you in your prayers at night, that speak ye in light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body, both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, for ye are of more value than many sparrows. What does that mean? It means... He may let us die. It may be his plan for us to be martyred. But it won't be man doing it. He will be permitting it to happen in his will for his purpose. Are we ever going to reach the place in God that if he chooses for you or me to die a violent death of persecution, that we'll give God glory for it? Like the apostles worshiped and give, gave thanks that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. Verse 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, because we're afraid of man, I'm adding, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. So while I try to save me before men, I'm losing my soul. Verse 34, listen carefully. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I am come not to send peace, but a sword. That's contrary to the doctrines of the modern church world, is it? We're all supposed to be one. We're all supposed to love each other. We're all supposed to come together and find some way to get along, even though we don't believe what we, we, we believe we don't agree on. Wrong. What is the sword? It's the word of God. Think not that I'm come to send peace on earth. I'm come to send, not come to send a peace. 
but a sword. I am come to set a man at variance against his father, the daughter against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross, no matter what circumstances God permits to allow, uh, permits and allows to come into my life today, I have to receive that from my father. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth me, receiveth you, excuse me, receiveth me. Uh, let me read that again. Verse 40. He that receiveth you, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. <clears throat> you talk about backing. Talk about backing. When God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ tells you that if they reject you, they're rejecting me. And they're not rejecting just the Son of God. They're rejecting God the Father himself if they reject you. So he didn't say people wouldn't reject us. He just said they're going to be accountable at the great white throne judgment and in the hereafter, they're going to be accountable for their rejection. Now, that is a degree of backing that we can't possibly ignore. Because he is sending us forth. James went through everything everybody else did. James, uh, Peter's brother, I think it is. No, John's brother, sorry. But right in the beginning of the church, the king takes it and has him killed. He went through all of that teaching and training and traveling for just a few days, weeks, or months, whatever it was, of ministry. Well, John the Baptist only ministered for six months before he was put in prison and eventually killed. Just six months. I don't have to have an entire lifetime of ministry to completely fulfill the word and the will of God for my part in his place and plan. I just need to be submitted to him and his will. This concludes these, this six part. And if you have not figured it out yet, I fully understood from the beginning that very few people were going to be able to watch all six of these live. So why would I do that? Because he told me to first. But second of all, because I know that this is going to be used for ongoing training because our warfare against the adversary is not going to be concluded at 10 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time on Friday night. Not going to happen. This coming Friday night, it's not going to happen. No, it's not. Well, the adversary and his forces are going to take a major, major hit 
in this period of time. But the church is going to pursue until every single soul that can be saved before the rapture is delivered and saved. That's what the church is going to do. Be, do. The church that is fully committed to the kingdom of God and participating with the kingdom of God and the people that are a part of that church and who are born into his kingdom. That's what we're going to be doing until the rapture of the church, because this is the beginning of that end time worldwide apostolic revival and harvest. And these teachings will be used over and over again by many to train people and to get this. And no human being is capable of getting all of this stuff in one watching. In fact, the stuff that I've taught you here, these six sections, I can't even begin to tell you how many years and years and things I've had to go through to be able for him to teach me these things himself. I didn't read any of this out of a book except the book. None of it. I haven't quoted any man in all of this except Bible translators and Greek scholars over the meanings of words. Everything else God has given me because I sought it. I sought it from him, not from man. And he is no respecter of persons. And so with even though he's done all of that for me and he's no respecter of persons, I'm teaching it not so that I can pass it on to you directly, but I am sowing seeds of revelation that you can take and study about and pray and let God water it in your prayers and in your study until he causes it to become a revelation in you. And then it will be yours. And you don't have to give anybody credit but God that you now have that revelation. (coughs) Not looking for it. Don't want it. Freely I've received. Freely I've given. I've given it just like I received it. I wasn't worthy to get it. I'm not worthy to give it. Everything I have, I've received. Therefore, I can't boast in it. I can't put my name on it and claim it. It's all his. It's all his. And it can be all yours if you want it. God bless you. Thank you for your participation. Thank you for trusting God and trusting me to be some measure of ministry in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.